This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonneman. And I'm Mindariwal. And welcome to The Loop. This week, we're talking about ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, which is easily one of the most familiar neurodevelopmental disorders and something that's been talked about a lot lately. Min, what goes through your head when you hear the term ADHD? Well, uh, some of what you just described, right? The uh, hyperactivity and Mm -hmm. maybe not being able to focus and, you know, at times, I mean, my my wife is in, in the education feel too so it's Mm -hmm. a discussion we have all the time and uh, you know even when you have your own kids like you sometimes wonder like you know this kid is bouncing off the walls and has a lot of uh, energy but Mm -hmm. uh, it may not necessarily be ADHD but uh, it's certainly something that comes across your mind and and now you just hear about it more right back back in the day it was kind of something that it was kind of hush hush Mm -hmm. and if 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 you if you if it was brought up you it was like a bit of a panic mode but um, it's certainly something that uh, you hear about and see online uh, a discussion about it yeah much more it feels almost like it was um not like a, a, it was like a bad thing, a bad word. Yeah, kids, I, I would like say I would say there was insult. probably a stigma attached to it. Yeah, right? you would look at like maybe a young kid, usually traditionally a, a boy. Yeah, you know, bouncing off the walls, running around in recess, and you'd be like, oh man, and and it was definitely kind of an insult or a slang term that was thrown around, which For was sure. not cool. <laughs> and I mean, I, I think about about being in elementary in the eighties, yeah. and uh, you know, I don't think ADHD was talked about back then. Yeah. And it certainly wasn't something that the that the parent would uh, have a discussion with the teacher. It would just be, you know, X or whoever is uh, very disruptive in class. And, and that would be in the comments. And I'm pretty sure that was in my <laughs> comments quite a bit. But the ADHD conversation did no. not happen. Fast forward to now. It's everywhere. Um, it is. It's online and, and it's moving beyond kids and there's this growing understanding of what ADHD actually is, what it means and yeah. and who it's affecting. And it's not just kids who are traditionally, nope. you know, a, a little bit more hyperactive or distracting in the classroom. It's adults who maybe had no idea that some of these symptoms they were experiencing come back to ADHD. Right. And because of this moment that's happening right now where so many folks are asking the question, do I have ADHD? We wanted to unpack it a little on the podcast and hear about the changing understanding about what this kind of neurodivergence actually means. And we're going to do all of that with a little help from our CBC colleague, Emily Fitzpatrick. Emily is a reporter and a video journalist and created a video sharing her own recent diagnosis with ADHD as an adult. And now she joins us on The Loop. Hi, Emily. Hello. So when did this first cross your mind that maybe you had ADHD? I mean, I think I've always kind of known growing up, I had trouble in school with concentrating and studying. And many of my report cards said I was a distraction to others. (laughs) So I think I maybe had a feeling then, but Mm -hmm. my parents put me in uh, sports. So I was I was training, you know, six times a week. So that helped. So I kind of just moved on with my life. I mean, that middle line, uh, I got I had a lot of those comments, too. So. (laughs) I think there's <laughs> Min's still a disruption. To there others. may be uh, maybe a, a longer conversation you and I have after this. Give you some tips. Perfect. What, what happened now, though, that made you want to reach out to a doctor and and pursue a diagnosis? Well, it was it was two things really. Um, it was working from home during the pandemic and TikTok. So first, with the pandemic, I was getting distracted and I was literally alone in my apartment with my mm. cats. 
So I would work for a little bit and then get up and go to the fridge or get up and, and look at my phone. And that was kind of, hmm, you're, you're having some trouble staying at your desk. And then the thing with TikTok is once you watch a video on one topic, they give you hundreds of other videos on the same topic. And that's how I ended up on ADHD TikTok. And I saw symptoms wow. that, yeah, I saw symptoms that I've never really associated with ADHD. And the first one that really got me was around sensory issues. And that was specifically around a lot of noises are very overwhelming to me. So like if the TV is on, if someone's talking to me, if something's coming out of a phone, that can be like, that can be hard for me. And turns out that's a symptom. And uh, and I found out later through this story that it's actually a very common symptom because we have trouble filtering out surrounding noises. While most people can and they can just focus on one thing, we don't we, we hear everything. So that wow. was when I kind of went, you know, maybe I'll just book an appointment with my doctor and, and, and see what happens. So, I mean, there's been a huge jump in diagnosis and conversations about this in the pandemic. What did you find out about why that is the case? Well, honestly, it's kind of the same case with me. Experts said it's been a double whammy. The first was the COVID-19 pandemic. And that messed up so many people's daily routines. And, you know, schedules were gone. Environments were changed. Suddenly parents were full-time teachers. And for people with ADHD, that really messes up what's called executive functioning. Um, I'm going to let Heidi Bernhardt from the Center for ADHD Awareness Canada to explain what that means. Things like time management, problem solving, organizational skills, social skills. It's a whole realm of things. But the more we're out of schedule, the more our supports are are taken away, um, the more demand on our attention and our executive functioning, the more things are going to go wrong. And um, I think in the past, when the the odd things went wrong, people just had to get on to the next and went on and on, you know, and kind of went, oh, well, it's just, I'm busy. And well, of course, I'm going to forget things. Now they actually had time to sit back and go, hmm. So that was because people were working from home for the first time. The other one, especially for the younger generation, was TikTok. Um, if you go on TikTok and you look up the hashtag ADHD, it has 20 billion views. That's a lot. So that's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of videos, a lot of people, a lot of people are watching and that's done a couple things. First off, I think it's kind of changed the stigma around ADHD just because of the sheer number of people that are openly talking about it and sharing their symptoms and sharing how they get through it. And I think that's given people a lot more examples of symptoms um, and what it's like to live with ADHD. And then I think people, it kind of changed the perception as well, because I I was one of them. When, when you think of ADHD, you often just think of like a hyperactive kid mm-hmm. and seeing what other things it affects, I think was eye-opening to a lot of people. And, uh, you know, encourage them to reach out to their doctors about a possible diagnosis. But on the flip side, which we should say, and and many of the experts did say, is that because so much content is being produced, so many um, symptoms are being covered. And many of them are like very general. Like, have you ever been distracted or (laughs) things like that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And a lot of people can identify and say, you know what? I have been distracted. Yeah. Yeah. I have picked up my phone in the middle of a conversation. 
So that can lead to a lot of people misdiagnosing themselves, which can get tricky. And that's something that they're dealing with right now, what professionals are dealing with. And that's also just why it's so important to go through the right channels to kind of find out if you do have ADHD by getting a professional diagnosis. So how different do you think an adult diagnosis is versus one you receive, you know, when you're uh, much younger as a kid? I mean, that that's a tricky question. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of people are thinking about that, especially like myself, I'm, I'm 33. So that, that was a thought for me for sure. And I think, a lot of people, when they get a diagnosis as an adult, there's often a feeling of both relief and mm. a feeling of mourning because you spend a lot of your life thinking, you know, if I, if I just worked a little bit harder, mm. maybe I'd be better at school or I wouldn't constantly be late or I wouldn't, you know, forget things at home all the time and have to go back into my house 18 times. Like, what's wrong with me? I just need to work harder. Or you develop ways to cope with it without even knowing. Um, so I think when you get that answer later in life, there, there's kind of that click and you went, uh, oh, okay, I guess there is a reason why I do these things and it doesn't matter how hard I work. And it kind of feels like a little bit of a weight is is lifted that you, you maybe didn't know you were carrying. Hmm. So it's complicated. For sure. So not everyone is getting to that point because of this boom that we talked about the the demand is kind of outweighing the supply right now there's a shortage of family doctors uh across canada and that has meant people are waiting months to get an appointment to speak to a doctor if they're lucky enough to have one and then if they want to go through the psychologist route there's wait lists for weeks sometimes months to go see them and then Sometimes prices of those diagnoses, if you're going the private route, if you don't have a family doctor, can be thousands of dollars. So some people, you know, they don't they don't want to go through with that or they're waiting months and months to get that diagnosis. And another thing I found interesting is a lot of parents are actually finding out that they may have ADHD along with their children. So they take their kids to the doctor because they think they may have ADHD and ADHD is actually hereditary. So a lot of parents are finding out in that doctor's office when the doctor's li- uh, listing symptoms and the impacts of it, and then all of a sudden this light bulb goes off. So I found out a lot of people are getting diagnosed that way as well. Yeah, it must be so fascinating to just be sitting there and be like, wait, that's me too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I can't imagine. Yeah. I, since receiving your diagnosis though, having that kind of answer to maybe why some of this stuff... It has been happening. What have things been like for you? Well, I mean, I have a saying where there's been some peaks and some valleys. Uh, I've been a lot nicer to myself, I think, in terms of, you know, forgetting my wallet at home and, and, uh, you know, trying to get out of the house without going back four times. And medication has really helped me focus. It took a while to get a combo that worked for me. And that's something a lot of people deal with. But really, I think it's just nice to have an answer and I don't just beat myself up as much. Mm. And there's there's some challenges in terms of, you know, it just doesn't transform your life. Like you still have the same habits that you had before, mm-hmm. but you're kind of facing them with, I'd say, more of a calmer mind. Um, so it does sound corny, but it, it really it really is. A, it's a journey. So it, I'm on I'm on that journey. And uh, yeah, it's been really interesting. Well, that's encouraging to hear, though. Calmer mind. I mean, we all, I think, strive mm. for that. 
Uh, and, mm. and you actually took your own experience and reported it on a video uh, on a CBC website. So what surprised you the most while you were doing this story? Well, just based on timing, I learned so much because I was diagnosed in September of 2022. And I started working on this story in October. So just a month after, just because it was ADHD Awareness Month. So I was looking into the story. So I learned a lot because I took an opportunity to ask all the experts I spoke to so many questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty incredible. And then just speaking to people with ADHD, newly diagnosed or or for years, it was when they were listing some of the symptoms they deal with. And I had many moments of, uh, oh, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that was one, but I also do that. <laughs> so that was, that happened several times. So that's one of the things that I thought was pretty surprising. As journalists, you know, we don't often put ourselves at the center of stories. It's not the job. <laughs> what has it been like putting your own story out there? Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very personal story. Um, but it's been incredible. Um, I think through most of the process, I was learning so much and I was getting to speak to experts and I didn't have a lot of anxiety or shame around my diagnosis. So I didn't really consider that. Um, Cut to the night before it comes out. (laughs) I was was freaking out a little bit. um, But almost immediately, I started getting messages from people, which... I didn't expect, which I don't know why I didn't expect it because a lot of people are dealing with this, Mm. but I started getting messages on social media. I got emails from viewers. Uh, People on Instagram were messaging me. Uh, A lot of people shared that they were going through the same things and were giving tips or they were about to start the process. So I think the sheer number of people that reached out kind of, like I said, illustrates how many people are currently dealing with the same situation and same journey if you will Hmm. so it was scary sometimes but really i haven't regretted it because i think you know it's something that people are dealing with so why not put my story out there and see what other people think The experience of ADHD is unique, and our definition seems to be constantly changing. But it remains one of the most common kinds of neurodivergence out there. Justin Lassard is a mental health therapist and has worked with clients who have ADHD. Hello, and welcome to The Loop. Hello. (laughs) What exactly is ADHD versus what do most people think it is? I'll start with what do most people think it is. I think most people think of it as... Um, a lack of attention and an inability to sit still. I think Mm. that's the common um, way that people think of ADHD. But like you kind of said in our intro, our understanding of it has changed a lot drastically in the last little bit. Mm -hmm. And ADHD is so many things. (laughs) I I think that's the big kicker is that it's kind of encompassed so many different aspects of people's lives. Um, And it's kind of a lot bigger than we thought originally than just the inattention. Mm -hmm. When we are talking about symptoms and the different way it affects lives, especially maybe in adults, what are we actually talking about? 
Um, the big one that we like to talk about is poor or lower executive functioning or uh, emotional regulation. Mm. And so one thing with we know with people with ADHD is tasks become a lot more difficult. So those really mundane tasks, those day-to-day things become almost excruciating to do um, where it's really, really difficult for them to even get the motivation to do these things or even the want or will, even though the they internally want to do these things. So one thing that we talk about is either time blindness or ADHD paralysis, where people will have an appointment at like three o'clock in the afternoon, for example, but because they have that three o'clock appointment and they don't want to miss it because of they've they've been late for everything all the time or Mm -hmm. they've missed appointments, they actually don't do anything for the whole day. This feels so familiar. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Just to kind of, just to make sure that they're on time for that thing later though, right? They don't want to mess with the schedule. Yeah, because they've in the past, because of their misunderstanding of their ADHD, because they were there, I probably weren't diagnosed at an early age. Mm -hmm. And so they felt all those kind of ramifications for being late, for missing appointments. And so when there's that afternoon appointment, I find is really debilitating for a lot of people because the whole day is kind of gone. Mm, yeah going to sleep is a really tough one for people with adhd just racing internal thoughts all the time because your brain is literally just sending you a bazillion things at the same time and i think that's the other part when we talk about people think that adhd is either taking in all this information but sometimes it's also being only able to focus at one thing at a time so we call that hyperfixation or hyperfocus This speaks a bit to my next question, which is if someone has undiagnosed ADHD, if they go their whole life not knowing, or maybe it's misdiagnosed to something else, are there risks involved with that? What what are the possibilities there for folks? I think it comes with a lot of personal frustration and shame. Mm. I think and and shame being a pretty negative. I know we um, like in a tangent about mental health and just the way that we kind of have dealt with people in the past. There's usually a lot of shame and guilt associated with it. Mm -hmm. Like, how dare you be late? This is, you know, a personal attack to me. And so people become kind of internalized that shame of, you know, why am I late all the time? Why do I miss appointments all the time? Why don't I remember to text my friends back after I read the text message and it's like three days later and I remember that I'd actually said it in my brain and not actually in the text. Right. And so there's a lot of interpersonal struggles that come with it and a lot of relational struggles with it. Because even if I go back to all those tasks, um, sometimes in relationships, partners with ADHD want to help. They want to do the cleaning. They want to do the folding of the laundry. But what happens is that they get really trapped in something else. And then their partner feels like they're kind of taking on the rest of the load. Mm. And it creates a lot of conflict within the relationship as well. Even though the partner is willing to do that, they just might not have the executive functioning capacity to do those things. And they don't know why. How did you end up specializing in ADHD? Um, well, it's actually a fun journey. So <laughs> my, <laughs> so it started mostly my my wife got diagnosed pretty late. I think she was uh, uh, in her later twenties. And then as we kind of did a little bit more research and a little bit more digging into it uh, together for her, I also started kind of noticing that there was a lot of things kind of reflecting back on m- me. And what's mm. interesting is my wife and I present very differently with how our ADHD impacts us. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of also became a personal journey as well and how this thing has impacted me so much in my life, but also has given me, I don't like to be that person who's like, you know, your ADHD is a gift because there are benefits to it for sure. But so much of it has been the struggles that I've gone through in my life didn't have to be struggles if we had maybe caught this earlier. 
Oh, when, how old were you when you were diagnosed with ADHD? <laughs> and that's the thing is I'm still pursuing my diagnosis. Okay. It's been a long, it's been a long process. And, you know, that's the funny thing about ADHD is that tell someone with ADHD to remember to do an appointment, to go through a, a checklist assessment and then <laughs> right. follow up. And so we have that, but there's also, so there's the medical aspect of it. And then there's psychology and then there's the cost behind it. And mm-hmm. there's just not a lot of known steps on how to get diagnosed. There seems to be a lot of barriers to that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are for good reason, because there is an overprescribing of stimulants. And a lot of people are going for stimulants, which is the main medication for ADHD, for not great reasons. Right. You touched on yeah. the difference between how you and your wife present. And that speaks to, I think, some of the understanding that's happening between men and women and adults and children. Can you talk about that difference and how that's growing? Um, well, like for my wife, it's more, it's, it is a lot more kind of in the hyperactive uh, area. She has a lot more quickness to anger than I would, but mine is more living in my brain, Mm. kind of daydreaming a lot and very much living inside of my body and being very detached from the world. Yeah. Yeah. Why, Why do you think it is? That we are, because it's everywhere. I think the conversation yeah. of ADHD is hard to escape right now. Why do you think it is that we're asking so many more questions about our brains now that maybe we weren't before? I think obviously science has played a big role. Um, you know, we have a better, greater understanding of these things than we did even five years ago. I think the pandemic made a lot of people self-reflect, whereas they were just gone on with their lives being, you know, distracted by this, distracted by that. And now the pandemic can made everyone kind of sit and go, is this, is, is this, is there something more to this? Mm. And then people kind of go on the, and then we go on the internet and there's tons of information on the internet, not always great information on the internet. Um, and I think there's a lot of interest to ADHD as a coping mechanism mm-hmm. and how much are we just coping and our brains are changing for us to cope with the differences and changes in reality. You mentioned a lot of information, not all good information, which I think speaks to TikTok. As yeah. someone who is a healthcare professional, how do you feel about those videos being everywhere right now? So I think that, I think there's a problem with the over-analysis of some things. And I've seen some TikToks where they'll be like, this is, this is if you do this, this is ADHD. Mm. And I go, that, that, that's not ADHD per se, because there's no context involved. And then the other thing that people like to do is they go to their therapist and then they sit down and their therapist gives them this great advice about their ADHD. And they're like, I learned about this with my ADHD. And then they share it. Mm. But I think it's it's usually in, I don't think it's harmful. They, they're not trying to be harmful or, or problematic, but it's like, what is your experience? It's not the same for everybody else. And so other people who are probably maybe struggling with something, or maybe it's from trauma, because sometimes trauma and ADHD look very similar. Um people kind of latch onto that and then they try to make it their own mm. when it doesn't necessarily fit. And then we're kind of over-diagnosing ourselves is kind of the problem. So what would you say to someone who's maybe watching a lot of those videos and recognizing parts of themselves in it? Um, you know, what can they do to pursue and see if it is ADHD or, or maybe it's just something else? I, I would I would highly recommend pursuing a mental health professional who specializes in ADHD. And that's kind of the big caveat is there's... Um, you know, if you go on psychology today and you're looking at a psychologist, there's a there's a bunch of barriers there, right? There's first you got to find someone you like. And psychology today for someone with ADHD is very overwhelming because there's unlimited choices, it feels like. Mm-hmm. You have to go through all these pages. 
And then not everyone is specialized in ADHD that understands the various nuances of ADHD and all the ways that it impacts us. So are you dealing with someone who is kind of old school and the old school myth of like, you're not jumping around. So one comment that I got when I was looking for my diagnosis was that because I sit really still, I can't have ADHD. Hmm. <laughs> and so this is, again, is the... Is yeah, like, how did you respond to that? Um, I just kind of smiled and nodded. You know, my go-to is to be try to be very polite. Um, but I then I, I was like, sure, I'm sitting very still. But then I took my camera because I was on my computer. I took my webcam. I said, but look at my room. Mm. And my room was like somewhat organized and then just chaos everywhere else. Everything that was in my camera was organized. And then everything outside of the camera was just chaos. Yeah. And so there was kind of this like, yeah, I, I can sit still. But that's where we talk about ADHD on a spectrum. Like there's different things that different people deal with differently and different facets of their lives that they struggle with. Mm -hmm. And it's not a monolith. Earlier in the episode too, I think we heard from Emily about how there's this kind of mourning that happens when you're diagnosed later in life. How common do you think that feeling is amongst adults diagnosed with ADHD? I think, I think a lot. I know I've had a lot of very close friends who have been late diagnosed and I'm talking people who have gone through medical school finished master's programs who are very successful, very awesome human beings who have done good things um, and not not saying that people who haven't done those things aren't good, but just kind of they take their medication for the first time and they start crying. Hmm. And it's just this, this, oh my gosh, like this is what my life could have been. My life didn't have to be so hard. And they almost have to grieve the life they could have had if they maybe had been understood sooner. Because so much of so much of this aspect of ADHD is you almost question every everything that happened in your life because if I had my medication or if I had this therapy that had worked for me or if I used neurofeedback or whatever you are using or helping with your symptoms, could my life have been different? Could I have actually maybe done better in school and gone after that job that I really wanted? Could I have maybe had that relationship that I really struggled with? Could I have? And it's just all the could-ups, right? I mean, this conversation doesn't seem to be slowing down. The videos are still getting made. There are many people like yourself who are in the process of seeking diagnosis and and figuring out whether or not it is ADHD and and actually getting the support they need. What do you hope comes from this spotlight on ADHD that we have right now? I think for me, it would be, I mean, I'm I'm always kind of too big of a dreamer and I think a little too big, but mine would be, a change in the way that we look at um, how people function on a day-to-day basis. And because when we talk about inclusivity, I think we talk about how do we change for this one pop group of the population? We try to be very specific, but there's a whole range of us that struggle with these types of things all the time. And so how do we come, I like to talk about like nervous system focused. And so in my work with kids, a lot of the time, it's like, how is the environment around you impacting your nervous system, whether you're neurotypical or or neurodivergent? And having more conversations about ADHD, how different things impact ADHD, I hope changes the way that we look at the environments we create for people. What do you want those environments to look like? (laughs) I want them... For me, it would be less focused on productivity and more focused on how do we reach this person. When we compare different school systems around the world, you know, like our school system is great and we do lots of amazing things. We have, we have amazing people in them. Um, but I want 
more awareness onto how do we change and adapt our school systems to fit and work with these kids. And the big thing is that a lot of the times right now we build systems and work environments and we make people fit those environments versus how do we adapt and change those school systems to fit those kids. When we talk about ADHD, we, we focus a lot on the individual because that's how Western society looks at these things is how does the individual change? But we need to start taking a bigger look at how do we systematically change to make these things more accommodating? Because we know that if we don't catch ADHD at a young age, it can lead to long-term ramifications. Uh, Guy Felicia from BC posted this really interesting stat. Uh, he was showing how people with addiction and living in active addiction, a lot of them are missed ADHD because these people are self-medicating to try to cope with their symptoms that they don't know is ADHD. And that's just one ramification that we can talk. We can talk about so many more. Yeah. And so I think ADHD, I think it's brushed a lot of the time. It's like, well, it's just ADHD. But ADHD is an incredibly debilitating mental disease. And maybe disease is the wrong word, but it's, it's a very debilitating thing if we're not aware of how to work with it. Do you think there's enough understanding and recognition of it as that right now? No. <laughs> no, there's not. I mean, in a lot of the work I've done... Um, with lots of kids is that I'll have people come to me and they'll be like, well, this is happening. And I go, yep, that's an ADHD symptom. And they go, yep, what about, and I'm like, yep, that's an ADHD symptom. And we try to cluster all these other things as not ADHD when the more you do the research, the more you look into ADHD, these are all cluster symptoms of or subcategories of ADHD. And if we had a very good understanding of ADHD and how to work with it, maybe we'd be looking at less diagnosing. Maybe we'd be have more specific targeting um, treatments for these people. Uh, maybe we'd have a better functioning, like better functioning systems for them. Mm -hmm. So how do we get there? Is it just continuing the conversation? Is it the TikTok videos? Is it funding? <laughs> Is it everyone getting diagnosed with ADHD? <laughs> like, how does that happen? I'm not sure. That's a really good question. And I think that's why when we talk about inclusivity and how do we design our systems it's how are, are we design who are we designing these systems for you know like when we talk about people with mobility issues we look at our greater population we go we do not design our society for people with mobility issues you know who are we designing society for who are we designing schools for who are we designing jobs for and it's usually for people with who are able-bodied neurotypical and so we're not having the better conversations about how do we adapt our systems to be better suited for everyone and not just some people. The Loop is a podcast from CBC Edmonton and our team is Leslie Goldstone, Sam Brooks and Olivia O. The music Change Your Mind is by Edmonton musician John Common and I'm Mindarawal. And I'm Claire Bonnyman. Thank you so much for listening. The Loop is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, traditional lands of First Nations and Métis communities. If you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email, theloop at cbc.ca, or find us online. I'm on Twitter at NamiKnob. And I'm at Min Dariwal. And of course, you can leave us a rating or review wherever you download the show. And you can find us on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.